Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of the Double Threat Podcast. We are your hosts, Brett and Morrow. This episode is part of our Love It, Hate It series. The Love It, Hate It series is where Morrow and I talk about films that one of us love and one of us hate. That means we're going to talk about 1982's Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, directed by Tommy Lee Wallace and released in 1982. Here's a little synopsis about the film. Dr. Daniel Chalice and Ellie Grimbridge stumble onto a gruesome murder scene when Ellie's novelty salesman father, Harry, is killed while in possession of a Halloween mask made by the Silver Shamrock Mask Company. The company's owner, Conal Cochran, wants to return Halloween to its darker roots using his masks, and his unspeakable scheme would unleash death and destruction across the country. All right, it's about a minute and a half of that. Yeah, this is uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Uh, I'm Morrow, and this is my favorite Halloween movie. And this is Brett, and this is my least favorite Halloween film. Or maybe so, it's in the bottom three, but yeah, definitely one, think, one of the worst. <laughs> one of the worst Halloween films I've ever watched. Thank you, Morrow. And in our discussion today, we're going to be talking not only about the film, but why we love it or hate it, the storyline and characters, including the awesome Tom Atkins. Now, what's really interesting about this film, Morrow, is that over 105,000 people have rated it on Letterboxd, and it sits at a 2.9 rating out of five stars. Not bad. That's a, honestly that's impressive for what the movie is and how hated this movie is. People do not like this movie, and by people I mean Brett. Acknowledged, yes. But I think that that is why I picked it for the Love It or Hate It series because you have such a disdain. <laughs> disdain. I love that word. Disdain for this movie, and I have such a love for this movie, like so far as saying that this is my favorite Halloween movie. And I have my reasons, which I'm sure why you have your reasons for hating it. But if you haven't seen Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, this has nothing to do with the iconic Michael Myers from the first Halloween. Right. For those of you listening, I'm wearing a John Carpenter's Halloween shirt, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> and it was a huge departure from what the first two movies set up. And I think that is one of the reasons why I love it. It's so different. It is different. I will agree with you. Um, it's it's a nice change from the Michael Myers universe. Um, but did you know it came out almost exactly a year after Halloween two? Like almost like only a few days apart from Halloween two. For those of you who can't see my face, I basically have a I don't care face <laughs> right now. So it came out in October nineteen eighty two. Which at that time, uh, we were entering the computer and digital age. So this movie kind of takes the digital component and makes a horror movie out of it. And there's some interesting trivia on how this movie got made. Uh, because obviously, Halloween 1 set up the slasher genre basically even though there were some slashers before but i feel like halloween one john carpenter's halloween really did set up the slasher genre and with a successful movie like that the studio is like hey let's make a second one because 
money. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, both producers and co-writers, made a second one. And then the studio is like, hey, how about a third one? And John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were like, yes, we'll make a third one. Like, we'll put our names on it. But we don't want Michael Myers to be the focus. <laughs> well, they also, how would they make him the focus? Because of what happened in the end of Halloween 2 with him exactly. and Loomis. Yeah. So kudos to them for sticking to their guns and basically forcing the studio to give them money to write a Halloween movie, not centered around this wildly successful slasher that came before it. So Deborah Hill had an elevator pitch for Nigel Neal, who was the original uh, screenwriter. She said, witchcraft in the digital age, which I think it, it kind of sums up the movie. Uh, I don't know how many spoil. I feel like we're going to spoil it. It's a, it's 42 years old. Yeah. Like, we're, we're <laughs> we can spoil, spoil it. it. Yeah. We are the, we have the authority to spoil this. If no one has seen it by now, listen, folks, I have seen this film, I think a handful of times. If I've seen it that many times for a film, I don't like, Yeah, you definitely should have seen it by now. You no hated excuses. it. And you've seen it how many times? Probably like three or four times. Oh, that's impressive. Three or four. I don't like movies, too much. I, yeah. I clock out. I don't rewatch. <laughs> But Nigel Neal started writing the script, and it was basically this idea of this novelty gag toy maker, Connell Cochran, who makes has this plan to make masks that will eventually mass murder children on Halloween night. I, I, I love this plan already. I mean, I'm all for it. Right? Connell Cochran, so iconic. And the way these masks would kill these children is uh, with a chip implant. And this this next part, folks, uh, is going to probably throw you off and make no fucking sense. But it's my favorite part of the entire explanation of the plot. These masks have a chip with a with a particle from Stonehenge that, when <laughs> exposed to a certain frequency played by a TV commercial, will make kids' faces melt. And turn into a puddle of insects and snakes. How could you not love this movie? Oh, do you want me to begin? Yes, please. How, how much time do we have? Because I have a lot to say. Go ahead, please. No, so, oh boy, where do I begin? Well, <laughs> look, I, I think the ma the masks were a great design. I really didn't like that aspect of the film. I didn't like the story. I didn't like the characters. I didn't like the acting. I didn't like basically everything about this film. Um, and I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. Uh, and a I lot of agreement, I think. <laughs> a lot of agreement. But I do understand how people do like it. Like we mentioned before, it's it's not a Halloween film. It really shouldn't have been labeled a Halloween film. Um, but what I really love, you know, looking back at this film itself is some of the trivia involved with it. That Joe Dante, um, director of such classics as Inner Space, The Howling, Gremlins was originally attached to direct this, and then it went to Tommy Lee Wallace. Um, you know why? So I do not know why. Please tell he, me. He got offered a segment in Spielberg's The Twilight Zone, the Twilight movie. Zone. So he was like, "I'm going to go through this instead." You're like, "Hmm, yeah." <laughs> Spielberg. I mean, Twilight Zone, the movie is awesome. FYI. Yeah, yeah. That, that was another, a good call on his part, I think. Yes, that, that's another episode in the future. Yeah, but um, I, I, I just. Uh, look, the film is 42 years old. It's dated. Um, you know, obviously, if we had 
updated technology back then. I'm sure it would have been a whole like imagine we had social media. These kids would have been oh dead God. in a second. Billions. Billions. This yes. was just this was just like in the US because there were three TV stations that were playing this commercial in the US. So this was only targeted at US children. An Irish guy is trying to murder millions of children in the United States. But I think the whole backstory was a little weird. Although we were given, you know, there was like it was painted along the way with Stonehenge. Right. Um, and yeah, like the first few minutes we see the newscast is like a part of Stonehenge has gone missing. And that's it's, so, it's so corny. It's so corny. But it kind of reminded me of the beginning of Us, the film. Uh, oh, yeah. film. I remember they talked about the hands across America. Right. And I was just, when that first came on, I was like, what's this have to do with anything? And then, of course, you know, we learned later on again, spoiler alert, it was a whole, it was influenced like by that campaign. It's creative. And of course, that's a 2019 film compared to a, 1980, a 1982 right. film, you know. By also a, I think, much more talented writer and director. Correct. I, <laughs> I definitely think. agree with you on that one. So, yes. Oh, we, should probably, we should probably have a, an agree-disagree series now also. Hey, we're reaching some common ground here. Like, you know, we're, we're weaving our way to agreements. We are. We are. Uh, but I also want to go off topic. And, you know, I know you did ask me, like, why I didn't like it. And yeah. I just I – just, I mean, we're going to learn from some of the letterbox reviews, you know, why people didn't like, it, and I do agree with those. So we'll we'll mention those. But like, I, th- I think for me, it was the storyline. I think it was the acting, and I just couldn't latch onto what the characters were doing. Right. And you know, like I said, Tom Atkins is a total badass, and everything he's in. But I don't know. I just can feel we talk like... about his character? Yes, we can. Let's Please. do it. Yeah. Oh my I'll god! Shut up. So... Let's talk about Tom Atkins. <laughs> <laughs> I. So we're supposed to root. For this guy, for the doctor, we never real, we never find out what kind of doctor he is. Like sur- surgeon, maybe proctologist, um, uh, Doctor Dan Chalice, <laughs> something. He works in a hospital. We are introduced to him as like this drunk, absent father who harasses women, is very absent from his job and his family life, and we're supposed to root for this guy. I don't see it that way. I'm rooting for Cochrane. I'm rooting for his plan to go through. Oh, yeah, me too. I'm <laughs> like, totally side. I'm so on board with what he's trying to do. But Dr. Dan Chalice comes to the hospital after the opening scene where this man, you know, is chased by what they call the gray suits, which is very like invasion of the body snatchers. They live kind of vibe to them. They're yeah. robots. Uh, if I'm if I'm spoiling it for anybody, they're they're fucking robots. <laughs> <laughs> you can spoil this shit show all you know, you <laughs> but they're they're the creation of 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 Cochran's, and they're basically just his his henchmen uh throughout the movie and this man checks into the hospital he doesn't really check in he's brought into the hospital after having escaped these henchmen and dr dan chalice takes a look at him puts him in some room in a bed and then goes and harasses a nurse and while he's doing that <laughs> This man, this poor man, gets murdered by one of the henchmen who then proceeds to go to the parking lot, douse himself in gasoline in his car, and blow up. Um, but the part that I find so out of pocket is that the young daughter of this man who just died just shows up at the hospital. And then Dan Chalice is like, you're going to be my love interest now. I'm sorry for your loss. Let's go to a motel and have sex. <laughs> like, Yeah. 
Those, she, she identifies a body and then they travel. Yeah, they be, it becomes like this town. investigative team now. And she does. She looks very young, like very young, very young, like straight out of high school. Yeah, maybe yeah. college. I'll give her some years there. But yeah, it was. Yeah. It was bad because there, there's like a sex scene. Well, there isn't a sex scene, but there is a, a part where they have sex. We don't see it, but it's like 15 minutes into the movie. Yeah, well, we know it's... because the um, the other guests of the hotel hears them. Yeah, it's so early in the movie, and <laughs> it was, yeah. But yeah, uh, we're supposed to root for this guy. He's the he's the protagonist that uncovers Cochrane's horrible scheme. Yep. Wow, you're, you're like turning me around on my opinion of this movie. Oh, okay. So maybe it's going to be a hated, hated episode. No, no, no. There's a, so I don't watch, which is a bad thing to say. I don't watch movies for the acting or the characters. So wait, what I, do you watch the movies yeah, for? I watch it for the overarching um, story okay, and the atmosphere it brings. So I think the reason I fell in love with this movie is because I would only watch it during Halloween time. So like the whole vibe of, just you know halloween in general october of course watching this movie like the the halloween vibe is there like the masks are pure halloween the jingle my goodness can we talk about the jingle the jingle is like it's a small world mama disney fun fact it's london, london bridge, bridge is falling down yeah. yeah because it was in the public domain Yep. Thanks a lot, people who had this song jingle stuck in my head on repeat. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. Was it catchy for you? Was it oh, stuck it's definitely not catchy? It's annoying. So there's a funny story because, like, um, I remember, I remember the jingle, but I don't remember the movie from when I was a kid in Argentina. Mm -hmm. I didn't know English. I was a child, and this movie played on TV, and my dad would always go because, like, phonetically, we didn't know what it was saying, but he would he would go da da da, da Halloween Halloween da, da. like he would like hum along to it, and I was like, where is that from? And then years later, like I'm talking like middle school or high school, like I know English, I'm here, I'm starting to watch movies. I'm like, holy shit, Halloween three was part of my childhood, and I had no idea. <laughs> that's a good story. So that's it a was, good connection that you had. It was just stuck in my head for decades, and then it just. Sentimental. Came out. Yeah. I don't know if it was sentimental because I knew nothing about the movie. I knew I, I didn't know where it was from. I didn't know the context. But you connected it. So I Yeah, feel there like, is some hmm, some connection. You know, from your time in Argentina to your time in the US, and you made that, that connection. Right. So the main antagonist, Cochrane, played by Dan O'Hurley. Yeah. And actually, it's funny you just mentioned him because on this day that we're recording this episode, February 18th, he died 19 years ago today. Oh, that is a... And you are bashing his name across oh, that the is... podcast. Oof. I'm not... I love him. He's my favorite <laughs> part of the movie. But that... Wow, what a coincidence. Yeah, February 17th, 2005. Wow. Uh, rest in yeah. peace, Daniel Peter O'Hurley. Yeah. You were in Halloween 3. <laughs> <laughs> he was also a RoboCop 1 That's and 2. Um, yeah, those are badass films. Yeah. Let's talk about his character now. Yeah. Colin Cochran, because... He's this capitalist businessman with a thirst for blood, children's blood. He just wants to kill children. Well, it's the the sacrifice from no, the Stonehenge. Pagan ritual. 
yeah, yeah that, that ritual, which also is kind of like cabin in the woods type of thing. Oh, correct. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even make that connection, which I, I love the scene where he's explaining the whole scheme to Tom Atkins' character. And it's like very like, you know, 80s. Detailed. Yeah. Well, oh, they always, so... I always love those. Like, you know, I think Geico even made fun of it. Like, like, like a bad guy. Has yeah. And they they give have to the explain every detail. <laughs> First, I'm going to do this and then we're going to blow up the world. And then I'm going to put a some place and do this but yeah i mean cochran uh it's funny because like they go into detail about the plan he's like showing him around and they you see the giant piece of stonehenge and he's like you wouldn't believe how we got it here and then <laughs> there's no explanation <laughs> like, to know. we don't know we have no idea how they got this giant slab of stonehenge inside uh a, a warehouse but did you know that um Johnny Carson was slated to first play uh, Colin Cochran. No way. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. This would have been a comedy. Yeah. I, I, I can't really picture it because like it was it, like he has some sinister moments going from like the friendly, you know, businessman to like this just warlock. Yeah. I don't think Johnny Carson would have been a really good fit for this film based on his talk show you know his well considering the tonal shift and the, the the fact that there's a tonal shift every five minutes in the film i think it would have worked just fine the <laughs> multiple personalities yeah like yeah. yeah i mean yeah definitely i would have loved to hear that conversation with uh the director tommy lee wallace offering the role to johnny carson like and johnny carson just like you know hearing the elevator pitch and just like no yes <laughs> no thank you Although, what I do love, I'm going to share a piece of trivia with you, which I love. Yeah. And that is that Roger Ebert, who's like, you know, a very big film critic who has since passed, but his website's actually still very active. Yeah. It's one of the, like the most visited um, film websites. He actually has this film on his most hated list. And I oh. can't love Roger Ebert more than ever because of that. And his, his opinion is gospel. If we oh, know. it's gospel. It's, yeah. it's the word. It's... I, I, that's what I love going against the current, man. I'm, I'm indie. I'm indie with my opinions. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say uh, the um, obviously Cochran for me is up there. Probably not for you in terms of of movie villains. Well, he, because he, it was so he, well acted. No, he, he was, was so he, good. He at was it. very stern. Yeah. Had like no emotion, and like at first you also have to think that maybe he was one of those gray suits. Yeah, I thought about that. I would love to talk more about the gray suits because, you know, it's – they really didn't go into big detail as to how the gray suits were created, what that liquid was inside of them. It was just – You're talking about the yellow liquid. Yellow phlegm that that came out of their mouth and whatever. They were also very easily killed. They were strong. They had like superpowers because they were – we're going to say robots of some sort – and they were able to, like, you know, crush a face and you know, choke people. So later in the film, one of the uh, one of the gray suits gets punched by Tom Atkins, and you know, basically it's Tom Atkins' character, his hand goes right through one of the gray suits, and the person dies. The robot dies. So it seems There's like wires very, inside of him. Yeah, and... it was very easy to to kill them. But they well, had... the beginning of the film also, when uh, Ellie's father is getting chased and he's getting pinged down. And he takes like the 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 wheel stopper of a car that's parked, and the car just like 
crushes. Very slowly, like, crushes him, and he just, like, and just dies. Yeah. But yeah, mm-hmm. they're very fragile. <laughs> they're fragile, but they have, they're very strong, and they can yeah. kill. Like, they can kill if they want to. Well, they ripped, just, they ripped someone's head off. Yeah, oh, yeah, they ripped the, they ripped the person's head off, like, in, yeah. in two seconds. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was weird, because if they can do that, and that's just what I always, what I don't like about the movies, if they were able to rip someone's head off very easily, why did, didn't they do it to Tom Atkins' character? Because he's the protagonist. The doc. I'm going to call him the doc. He's the protagonist, I know. Because he's, he's fueled by alcohol, baby. <laughs> That's right. Alcohol and sexual harassment. <laughs> yeah. No, he's, he's indestructible. He's got a mustache and he's the worst man alive. Yeah. It's, it's five o'clock somewhere for him all day but long. But it's, it's funny that you mentioned the gray suits because that's a direct inspiration of uh, the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which Tommy Lee Wallace is a huge fan of. We're talking yeah. about the original 1956 movie. Uh, so much so that he based the town where Cochran's factory is, the Silver, Silver Shamrock factory, it's called Santa Mira, literally where the Invasion of the Body Snatchers takes place. So I, I, I love that little connection. Yeah, I, I, I do lo- I do love it when directors have like an appreciation for other films and they yeah. bring those elements into their films. And then also I also felt like the ending, um, when the blazers come out because they failed in their task. Yeah. It felt very Raiders of the Lost Lost Ark. Oh yeah. You know, when yeah. the Nazis are all being like pulled into the Ark and Yeah, yeah, yeah. They melt and they blow up. I mean it felt like that. Um and I'm sure maybe it had some influence on it, but yeah, definitely invasion of the body snatchers. Well the the like the very last shot of the movie is literally the same as the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers where Tom Tom Atkins character is trying to get the commercial to stop playing. It's like stop it stop it stop it and then he looks at the straight at the camera and he's like stop it and in vision of the body snatchers he's the the protagonist is like screaming 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 and just looks at the camera and says you're next like it's that kind of like connection with the with the audience so that, that, i feel like that's so cool when directors like put these little bits of homages to their favorite films and I, movies. I, agree. I love it I do love that. Although I, I believe I did read that they did film, I think, different endings for Halloween 3. Yeah, about four four endings. So I don't think they were – I don't think the actors or the cast knew how the film was going to end until it came out. That's always fun. It is always fun. And I, I do love that because sometimes you're like, well, what's going on here? Like, Well, because it's not a happy ending. And I'm oh, sure the studio ending. wanted a happy ending because you know we're in the 80s. But um, it's not a happy ending because yeah. the way I see it, Every single child in America died that night. <laughs> it's a very bleak film, but hey, the, I'm, the I'm, tagline. I'm the yeah, tagline no one, is the night no one came home. The night no one came home. Like you kind of alluded to every yeah. child dying. And uh, the film actually wasn't a box office success. It was actually oh, it, it was a failure. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people were expecting Michael Myers. This is a Halloween film. Um. And then somehow in Halloween four, Loomis and Michael Myers return. So, well, Michael Myers does make an appearance on Halloween three. He does, and tell us where. Which cements the idea of this being. I okay. I'm going to preface this by saying it is very meta, but it also confirms the movie's intention because we see Michael Myers literally on a TV set. On, Hall- on John Carpenter's Halloween. So 
this movie is telling you that those events are a movie. The events that happen on Halloween 1 are a movie, and we are completely disconnected from that. It is not canon to the world we're living in right now. So you should now, if you don't want that, walk out of the theater because you are not going to see Michael Myers because we literally just showed you that it is a movie. It is fictional. Yep. So I thought that was very interesting the way they did that. I actually agree with you on that one. Okay. You know? I'm, gaining, I'm gaining a little... Hey, okay. Maybe because like stars. I, I say that because John Carpenter and Deborah Hill had a plan to continue the Halloween franchise as an anthology series where all of these events would happen disconnected from each other, but only connected by the fact that they happened on Halloween night. Bringing it back to your point where you said that Halloween 3 was just bombed at the box office. Right. The studios were like, "Yeah, we're not gonna do that. We, we gotta bring the guy, we gotta bring the Halloween guy back." <laughs> yeah, you know. But I feel like it would if they kept it going. If they kept it going, it would have been very interesting to see fifteen Halloween movies where it's literally just a different Halloween story, you know, each time. Maybe yeah, maybe like twenty minutes, fifteen twenty minutes each. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Hour forty. Hour 40. <laughs> Single uh, movie. Know. Anthology franchise. Not anthology movie. Anthology franchise. Nah. I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm going to disagree with you on that one. But it did get a budget of $2.5 just like its predecessor, Halloween 2. It ran for 12 weeks. Okay. And they made $14.4 A success. Uh, I don't know if, that, if you call that a success compared to the... Because the studios already had... You know, Michael Myers is like a base of what yeah. this movie should earn. True. Um, but hey, two, you know, to make $14 million on a $2.5 million budget is actually not bad. I think they were just comparing it to what the first Halloween did. Like they just needed those um, numbers. You know? I, think, I feel like $2.4 million went to that little laser scene at the end. You know, they, yeah, the, the visual effects definitely. Cause, but they only spent $25,000 on special effects, which was impressive. Um, yeah, twenty five thousand. And there is a lot of special effects. If you want to call it that, sure. Okay. Come on, did like the 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 scene um, of the woman in the motel where she finds the chip. That's my favorite one, man. Like the mask and the 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 Jerusalem cricket climbing out of her mouth. Oh, it's so cool. Just bugs, bugs coming out of people's faces. Yeah, I, I want to know. They you know, they really didn't dive into that. I want, I wish they did with the bugs because we saw her. I forgot the woman's name. She was also like a sales person. Yeah. And then there was the other family that came in. Oh, yeah. On the RV. Boy. Yep. With the yeah. RV and the boy. And then they go into the room. And then the boy, he becomes infested with the bugs and the snakes. And then the mother gets, she like passes out. Yeah. And then the father gets like bit on the leg by a snake. And then he just. Yeah. In drops. test room A. In test room A, 666. It's funny because I thought about that scene, um, and this is me poking holes on a movie that has many holes. Mm -hmm. uh, so they, uh, Cochran approaches this, uh, his top salesman, by the way, uh, who is visiting with his family and says, hey, I need your opinion on some TV commercials. Locks him in test room A with his kid and his wife, turns on the commercial. The commercial says, hey, kids, if you're in front of the TV, set put your mask on. The kid puts his mask on. His face starts melting. There's bugs everywhere. And all the while, uh, Mr. Cochran has trapped Dr. Dan 
uh, what was his name? Dan Chalice. Uh, <laughs> and he's showing him this. But, like, Cochran didn't know that Dan Chalice was going to break into the factory and consequently get caught. Like, was this guy just planning on doing this to this family regardless? Because the whole point is to show Dan Chalice how the masks yeah. work and how he's going to kill everybody. Well, it was a test run. Yeah, it was a successful test run, obviously. But now I wonder what happens if, like, I mean, they were supposed to sacrifice all the children in the world, yeah. or in the U.S. We'll in the say. U.S., very specific. Um, in the if, like one kid did not wear a mask, like, like how are they supposed to get like everyone to appease the gods in this rock? Right. From yeah. Like, what happens if it was like one night, like, I don't know, some kid didn't do his homework, and the parents were like, nope, no TV for you. You can't. Yeah, you can't watch. Don't, but they do say, don't forget the big giveaway at nine during the commercial. So I think they like they, they're trying, like they're using capitalism to make children and parents and everyone be in front of the TV set at nine, which is another piece of trivia. The announcer for the commercial is none other than the director, Tommy Lee Wallace. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon. And remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it. And don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Well, yeah, a lot of people have a lot to say about this movie. Uh, oh, they including do. Including myself. Only yeah. good things. Uh, yeah, you had three. You You wrote three reviews, one line each. Do you mind if I dive into those? Oh, please, please. Here's here's Morrow's reviews, ladies and gentlemen. Number one, imagine not being enlightened and thinking this movie sucks. LOL. Five stars. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Five stars. <laughs> Tom Atkins has such a small butt crack. Five stars. He does. There's I'm one sorry. scene. He does. It what was it just... Yeah, at the motel. It's it stuck with me, man. Like when I I do remember when I wrote that because it doesn't happen towards the end of the movie. It happens like in the first act. It stuck with me throughout the entire movie. It happened when he got out of bed with that that teenage girl. Yeah. Yeah. With uh with Ellie. (laughs) Ellie. And then number three, where's the Halloween guy? (laughs) That's my favorite one. (laughs) That's my favorite one. Because that's that's how I think people who went to the theater reacted. And that's why I oh, love yeah. this movie so much. Because it makes me think about that night in October of 1982. People like in Halloween merch ready to see the third Halloween. They've been waiting for it for a year. They're so excited. They go into the theater. They watch this movie. They sit through it. For I don't know how long they until they realize that hey Michael Myers is not in this. Yeah, probably. Like yeah. I would have sat probably like maybe half an hour before I realized oh fuck like there's nothing that alludes to Michael Myers being part of this. That's fine. This like half sucks. an hour is that is that fair? <laughs> like to 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 wait for a slasher to come in? Well, also his name is not mentioned at all. Yeah, there's no mention of Michael Myers or Laurie no. Strode, none of that, or Loomis, nothing. That's oh, Laurie Strode, just... another piece of trivia. <laughs> the curfew announcer in Santa Mira was Jamie Lee Curtis. Really? Yep. The curfew announcer was Jamie Lee Curtis. So technically she's in this film. But not as Laurie Strode. Not as Laurie Strode, as yeah. probably Radio DJ. There's also some um, 
uh, one of the guys that played uh, a double of Michael Myers in the first one. Yeah, Nick Castle. Yeah, he's the he's, one with um, the sludge, right? With the yellow sludge. I believe so. I forgot what kind of character that name they gave him. It was like something like Grease Man or Repairman. Something right, yeah. weird. But yeah, yeah. I mean, good for Nick Castle. Good for good for him getting some work. Can I can I read uh can I read no, your review? Oh, please do. Please, please go ahead. <clears throat> so this is Brett's review. Ugh. Where do I begin with this one? This entry to the Halloween franchise is my a new beginning. If you know my thoughts about that film, they're mutual to this. One star. Yep. And folks, I hated Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. I me hated too. that film. Oh, me too. really? Interesting. Okay. Yeah, me too. Did not I like guess it. we're not doing a love it, hate it episode for that one. We, can't. we literally can't. <laughs> but yeah, you know what? I, like I said, yeah, I just I just couldn't get into this. Like, but I do see the appeal. Like I said, like, I, I, I can understand the appeal of this film. Yeah. And I do love the masks. And these masks do make an appearance in, um, you know, in Halloween Kills and the playground scene. Right. Correct. Yeah. I, I, I always love those little connections. Um, even though this Well, because when you think about it, had Halloween 3 worked, there would be no more Michael Myers. Because Correct. if their anthology idea worked and they kept going with it, there's no reason to go back to Michael Myers and we wouldn't have the iconic, you know, probably most successful slasher of all time come back. Cause it, he came back like, what was it? 88, 89. Yeah. Halloween four, the return of Michael Myers came out in 1988. So yeah, there's yeah. a six year gap. That's insane. And I'm going to be honest. And I agree with you on this. You know, it's such an iconic character or figure. Yeah. And to wait that long between, you know, films and also bring back those characters who yeah. were killed off in the second film. Beyond Halloween 3, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill are out. You know, they're like, we're done. If you want us to bring them up, bring back Michael Myers, we're not going to do it. You know, sell off the rights. It's all yours. Right. Um, and they brought him back in a supernatural manner. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, there's a there's a name for those uh, the th the Thorn trilogy. That's what it's called. Which one? The the four, five, and six. Oh, another piece of trivia. Yeah, the Thorn trilogy. Huh. Yeah. See, we got we're learning new things. <laughs> yeah, because when you think about it, they are released sort of as trilogies um, as they come out. Actually, that's um, true. Although although the one and two were not a trilogy because they're just two films. Right. Yeah. But so they, one, it's two. so interesting that they chose to name it Halloween 3. It's so interesting because had this just been Season of the Witch, I think it would have done very well. I think so. I agree with you on that. It's its own movie. Yeah. But you have to understand, like, I mean, year, I mean, we're, we're going to fast forward years later from Halloween th uh, 3, Season yeah. of the Witch. And if you look at Spiral the, from the Book of Saw, you know, yeah. it's kind of like you know they, they branched they made it like a separate jigsaw you know like so i guess like you know maybe they were trying to do something sort of like uh yeah but that's still in the saw universe it's in the saw universe know? this isn't a halloween universe in some sense because halloween appeared in that bar scene on the tv right. yeah so and john kramer appeared in, a, in just a photo in spiral oh yeah yeah that was so very subtle yeah very very subtle yeah very subtle movie. like let's hold the shot here let's make sure that everyone sees it <laughs> yeah it was, it was... but we can talk about the themes that halloween 3 brought because i see it 
as um, very similar to They Live uh, okay. because it's also John Carpenter. Uh, you know, this anti-consumerism, anti-advertising uh, kind of thing. And at the time, 1982, like I said, Deborah Hill's original pitch was uh, witchcraft meets computer age. I feel like if this came out, I don't know, 20 years later, it would have been instant hit. An instant hit. Update the technology a little bit. You yes. Know? The storyline itself, like right. with the internet coming along in the in, in the mid-90s, oh my God, it would have been such a success. Uh, so we can say that Halloween 3 was ahead of its time. Well, so was Halloween Resurrection with oh the God. live streaming. Why would you bring up Halloween Resurrection? I'm so sorry, I know. I'm sorry. So that, is, that is my least favorite Halloween, everybody. Oh, the movie was um, a piece of shit. Oh, my God. Garbage. But they were, I think they were very much ahead of their time, the live streaming, the headsets, the head cameras. Was, yeah, it came out in 2002, and it had yeah. some yeah, it had some good uh, uh, foreshadowing, I think, for yeah. the, what the I, technology I think, could do. Yeah, I really think that that I mean, I mean, I hated that movie, but yeah, it's true. I think the technology, technological aspect of it was was really good. Oh, in that in that vein, have you seen Deadstream? Yeah, I liked it. Okay, I loved it. I think Deadstream came out in the perfect time. It was executed perfectly. And it alluded to all the themes that uh, live streaming community, uh, you know, is a part of. Yeah. And that's why I think Halloween Resurrection, if they did it just, I don't know, 10, 15 years later, make it less corny, update it a little bit. I agree with you. It could have, uh, it could have done better. Yeah. And it's funny because the, you know, talking about Halloween 3, I feel like Letterbox community was... Loved it and hated it, just like us. Yeah, you know they had a, they had a lot to say. I mean, about it's it. almost dead center, man. Two point nine, like is is it's, it's more. I think it was like two point eight seven, but they rounded it up to two point nine. But still, I'll, I'll 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 consider that in the middle. Yeah, which which I like. I like that that fifty fifty split. And, well, if you, you know, see the if you see the the rating split, is like a, there's like a you know it's like you know it's almost perfect <laughs> yeah yeah it's amazing but like i said remember there was there was over 105,000 yeah, people that's insane. rated it so yeah that, that's in, that's incredible um but i loved some of the reviews from people um some of them made me really laugh hard and i know they made you laugh as well and i i, I love because this is what we talked about like basically right when we first began here's one of the positive reviews this is a five-star review and someone wrote Forever caught up in the atmosphere of this, I've never worried about how little the plot makes sense or how Tom Atkins' character sexually harasses every woman he comes in contact with. It's just dread and helplessness and mystery. Weird, goopy, creepy, crawly mystery. And I love it. That 100% describes my feelings towards the film. That, that, I'm going to agree with that review. Yeah, like I, said, I don't like it. I don't like this film, but I agree with that review. Yeah. If I were someone who would love it, because yeah, he this this review basically encompasses what it's all about. Person nailed it. I will say the the whole um, when he says uh, I've never worried about how little the plot makes sense. I can I can I can relate with that on a spiritual level because sometimes I will fall in love with a movie. Not because of the plot, not because of the characters, just because of either the context of how, like why I'm watching it or where I'm watching it. 
and how it just makes me feel in that moment. Yeah. Like I try to just not read too much in there and just like let it happen to me. And this movie is so fucking entertaining. When I rewatched it for this episode, mm-hmm. I watched it with breakfast sitting on the floor in front of the TV like a kid watching the Silver Shamrock commercial. Like just letting it happen to me at nine in the morning. It's amazing. It's incredible. It was a good snow day for you. Yeah, exactly. There was snow. It was perfect. It was perfect. Yeah, doggy perfect snuggles. Snow. Yeah. Mila was happy. Another positive review, which also, you know, we said it earlier in the episode, basically who I'm rooting for. Uh, this is a 2.5 star review. All he wanted to do was eradicate children. Cochran did nothing wrong. Amen. <laughs> Agreed, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand how that's, a, I mean, the person's gave it two and a half stars. I mean, for me, that's a five star review right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's a positive right. review. Two it is stars. a positive review. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, basically talking about Tom Atkins' character, the doctor, uh, which we still don't know what he was a doctor of. I, I You said no he idea. was. Whatever. I think he's a proctologist. He did zero doctoring in this movie. Like, we don't see him do any sort of doctoring. He did a lot of drinking and a lot of kicking ass. And that Doesn't was his ex-wife say, like, drinking and doctoring, that's a good combo or something like that? Like, that's one of his first, of her first lines. Probably. I think, actually, I think she said it when he brought the masks over to the kids. Yeah, yeah. Drinking and, like, and doctoring. Got us. I was like, oh, okay. It's the 80s, baby. You can drink and drive. Yeah. <laughs> the 80s were wild. But, uh. This review, this is a four-star review, and it says, I love how drunk Tom Atkins' character is throughout this whole thing, so much so that by the end of the picture, when he calls his ex-wife in a winded panic, she just assumes he's wasted again and hangs up on him. Magnificent movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. amazing. It is. It's like, you know, you're drunk throughout the, literally the entire fucking movie. And, and like, you actually have a reason to call your ex-wife. It's like, hey, we're all going to fucking die. It's like, oh, you're, Dan, you're drunk again. <laughs> Ring. That's like, amazing. Yeah. She should, she should have won the Academy Award for that one line or yeah. whatever answer she did. You know, dial tone. Academy Award. <laughs> yeah. He never... He never picks up his children. He never spends time with his children, even though he was supposed to. Yeah, man. Like, you're not a good man, Dan Chalice. Like, you need to do some reevaluating. And he sure did with Ellie. <laughs> yeah, with Ellie, who sadly turned into a robot. We don't know what happened to the real Ellie. Oh, yeah. We, we have to talk about that after after these negative reviews were yeah. about to review. We should definitely talk about what happened to her. Uh, this but, is um, a one and a half star review. Excuse me, am I supposed to root for this doctor who me tooed his nurse and then got with the dead guy's underage daughter? Question mark, question mark. <laughs> Valid, but it is the 80s person who wrote that review. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of, we got away with a lot of shit in the 80s. Let's just say that. Who's we? <laughs> People got away with a lot of shit in the 80s, by the way. <laughs> Hey, I was born in the late 70s. I'm a 79er. I yeah. consider myself an 80s child because I was born in late June, so I rounded up to the 80s. I was an 80s child. Good You're music. an 80s child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. You you can vouch for the 80s and how fucking horrible the they were. They were uh, 
you know what it was the 80s were it's a different time. Let's just say it's, like you know, the 80s were a product of their time, as people like to say. Yeah. Like, you know, whew, the 80s were crazy. Um, here's here's another one. And I, I kind of agree with this review. This is a half a star review. God bless this person. This one was begging to be placed on my shit list for criminy sakes. What the blankety blank blank were they thinking when they created a Halloween franchise film and left out the iconic horror star the whole franchise is based on? Well, that person doesn't know the backstory of how this movie got made. It sounds it sounds like it's an uninformed review, baby. Read a book. Yeah. So Tommy Lee Wallace, uh, if I'm not mistaken, wrote a book about his film. Um, and it came out in 1984. And if I'm not mistaken, again, it performed better sales-wise than Halloween 3 did. That's amazing. I feel like people wanted answers. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, but, like, you can see that. I feel like, you know, people do look to dig into a deeper story or a behind-the-scenes. And, like I said, you know, uh, for example, with um, Shudder has the cursed films. You know, people are so oh, yeah. fascinated by, like, Poltergeist and The Omen or The yeah. Exorcist. You know, they, they, they want to know, like, what happened on set where, where, you know, there was some like, you know, paranormal experiences. People love that stuff. So yeah, like, I, 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 can, I can relate to that. I mean, I have the hereditary A24 book that goes into a lot of the, you know, the background of things. Um, but I did look up Tommy Lee Wallace's book. It's $85 on hardcover. So if you know me, my birthday's on April 9th and I would, I would, I would like it because you know, I didn't know there was a book up until two days ago when I was doing research for the podcast. So there's your um your birthday list if anyone wants to, to buy yeah, it. Or if you find an eBay or Mercari for like three bucks, let me know. Buy it and burn it. <laughs> buy it and Brett burn it. Probably say. No, but I feel like that's an interesting read because it like, you know, from the director himself, um, talking about, you know, how the movie got made, why it got made, why it is the way it is. And I'm sure if it's two years later, he talks about the reception of the film and, you know, what came after. So I find that very interesting, you know? Yeah. And also in the 80s, people read books. Yeah. None of that Cliff Note shit. I I like books. books. I love books. Yeah, you always recommend books. Yeah. Uh, Then there's a two and a half star review, but this is a negative review uh, given the wording of the review. (laughs) You don't even know. It's two and a half stars. Maybe one of the most ridiculous films I've ever seen. I know it was 1982, but the special effects towards the end as well were downright diabolical. As a standalone film, this is pretty cool for the most part, but as a Halloween sequel, no. Having none of Loomis, Myers, or Laurie is just unforgivable. Two and a half stars. That's a, I mean, that's a horrible review of a film, but two and a half stars. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a little shocked. Yeah, that's why, you know, you either you need to know the Letterboxd user, see where their allegiance lies in their star rating or in the words, because, you know, sometimes they don't connect. Um, that's a one star review. If I've ever read one. Yeah, um, that's, I, I, I listed it here for us as a negative review because it is a negative. review. It is a very negative review. Yeah. But for two and a half stars. I mean, you would think but there is the line as a standalone film. This is pretty cool, which a lot of people, I think, agree on. OK. Mm-hmm. So I think the downfall of this movie with a lot of people came with the marketing and the presentation. You know, it right. presented itself as a Halloween sequel to Halloween 2. Um, it's not. And if you just see it for what it is, which I think a lot of people are starting to see it as just its own movie, 
it's very different, very enjoyable, and uh, you know, called classic now for a lot of people. Oh yeah, I mean, they had the, the they had figures. I just bought that figure box set. The uh, NECA had a oh yeah had the, had the like a, the three figure set, and they also had I think had them as a, a tiny tiny terrors uh, line as well. Oh, someone did a re-release on VHS. I don't remember the company, but they re-released it on VHS. Um, I should get back into the VHS. We should we should bring it back. Are you talking about VHS the cassette tapes yes, or VHS, VHS the series? No, oh. no, VHS the the physical media VHS. Okay. You know, I, you know I feel like it would hit different if I watched Halloween three season of the witch on VHS. I feel like my opinion would be the same. I will make it my goal to watch it in every single format possible. No, you have fun with that. <laughs> oh, I'm going to rewatch. So I rewatch this every year for my spooky season um, marathon. Um, I, and I, that, I, that I've noticed. But like yeah. I said, I do, I, I, do, I understand the appeal of this film. It's, right. it's, it should have been a non-Halloween standalone film. Yeah, but then it wouldn't be my favorite Halloween movie. You know, would it would it still be one of your favorite films overall? I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Know. I don't that's Just I, because I, the name is attached to it. I think I like the um, the polarity of it, where okay. you know it it sort of became its own thing mm-hmm. while being hated for you know people thinking that it was part of this other thing. You know, if it was just its own movie. One, I probably wouldn't have come across it, you know, because yeah. like it was if if it was advertised as a Halloween franchise, then it got a lot of marketing and, and you know, um, but I feel like if it wasn't attached to the Halloween franchise, it would just be one of those 80s, you know, B movies that people come across. Yes. But you know what? I still think it would have. I still think it would have this audience still many yeah. years. later. Yeah. Um. I just feel like because it's Tom Atkins and people oh, love yeah. Tom Atkins. Um, I mean, he's still acting. He was in, you know, in recent years in 2009, he was in my bloody Valentine 3d in the eighties. He was also in night of the creeps. He was awesome. Night of the creeps. Yes. And he was supposed to be in the third collector film, the collected. He was, he was listed in the cast. And then that film shut down after a few days of production. And the film just never came about. Although I would love may, to see him. It may eventually happen. Yeah, because everyone's so excited. Like Tom Atkins, you know, going yeah. against the collector, you know, is he going to give off his, you know, one-liners, you know, and you know, the way he usually Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is. And apparently he's just, just a really cool guy. Like just like. Yeah. People say yeah. like such nice things about him, which which I love. I love to hear great stories about yeah. people on screen. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's rare in his field. I, I'm, I'm going to tell a little story. I actually, I met the Suitable Flesh cast during Tribeca Film Festival. Um, you know, I got to meet Barbara Crampton, Heather Graham, Judah Lewis, Joe Lynch, uh, and then Jonathan Sheck, who was also in the film. He, he went to the wrong venue, but he came afterward. Uh, so I didn't get to interview him, but um, he gave me like 40, 45 minutes. He just talked to me on the side and we just oh, talked about horror cool. films and Long Island lacrosse. And he just bullshit with me. And I was like, this guy was just totally fucking cool. So I, really I, have, cool. I have a lot of praise for Jonathan Sheck now. Um, you know, because of that, and we talked about Day of the Dead Bloodline, which he was in. And yeah, wow. He just, and he's a horror fan, so and you know, I know that has nothing to do with this, but I like to appreciate people for who they are. And I have to say, the entire Suitable Flesh cast was just incredible, especially Barbara Crampton. What a what a delight 
She was just so fucking nice. I gotta so, watch Suitable Flesh. I've heard such good things. Yeah. I mean, Joe Lynch is awesome. You should watch Mayhem as well and, and Long Term too. Yeah, we're we're at it. We're adding films to our watch list live on the podcast, baby. <laughs> that's how we do it. Yes, that's how that is. And if you're listening too, add these films to your watch list as well. Yeah, we will also add it to our Letterbox account, which is letterboxcom slash double threat. You will see two lists of the night. We always do a, an episode list of the films that we're focusing on, and then we do a list featuring all the films that were mentioned during the podcast. So. Yeah, you're gonna. You're, we have a lot in this one. I think we have like maybe like thirty films There's that we a mentioned. Lot. Yeah, we talked about yeah. a lot of movies. Um, yeah. Okay, so we've reached the end. Brett, do you <laughs> still hate Halloween Three: Season of the Witch? You know what? After thinking about, yes, I do. I fucking hate this film. <laughs> fucking hate it. Okay, now ask me if I still love it. Do you still love this film, Morrow? Yes, it I is do. my favorite Halloween movie. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of, of the goal of this uh, segment uh, to convince each other of because we're very um, – what's the word when you stick to your guns? Arrogant about our opinions. <laughs> well, we're compatible on certain things. I mean we have a yeah. lot for horror and we do have – we do love a lot of the same horror films. Yeah, so yeah. They, we, but I would love it. to see our Venn diagram of, of – of uh preferences oh or preferences yeah, it seems to be pretty crazy but yes this is this is actually our first ep- episode of the love it hate it series and we have a lot more to come um in the near future we are going to do a nightbreed episode which is my favorite horror film Morrow's just sitting there just nodding which i can say i i i, I don't love it there you go that's, it. that's okay but that's i don't okay. hate it so it does not apply for love it or hate it. So okay. we do want to do a segment where we talk about our very, very much favorite horror movies. And I feel like that's just an interesting episode in and of itself of you literally just nerding out about Nightbreed for three fucking hours and me just like nodding along. I mean, like, yeah, that the, the, the one scene where they run away from the, the mausoleum is cool. Um, that's love it. That. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, I, I would love for, for that episode, we're going to do the theatrical cut, not the director's cut. We'll you got to tell me where to find these, man. Like, tell me I what to watch. I'll watch it. <laughs> Just give me whatever. Give me give me what to watch and I, you know, mail me your screener. Yeah, but folks, we, we do have so many. We actually, Mauro and I have planned out about five or six seasons of episodes now, and they're all different. Like... I'm, I'm impressed that we came up with so many different ideas. So we're going to keep you on your toes for each episode. I mean, actually, we're going to keep each other on our, our toes <laughs> for each episode because Marlon and I, like you know, we were just mentioning, we have different tastes, but we also come yeah. in you know, the middle on a lot of things. But you know, we're also going to there's a, a Goldilocks of- zone of opinion that we that we exist yeah. in. Um, we agree. You know, we both love horror as a genre and love many subgenres of horror but within that you know the more niche you go that's where the opinions start to branch out and that's the beautiful thing about having different opinions is that if we just were two people that like the same stuff that's me having a conversation with myself boring no disagreement nothing um so that's that's what we aim to do with uh the double threat podcast and we hope that you you know follow our spooky journey into the world of horror and disagreement yes i i I like that 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 was a great way to close this episode so thank you 
thank you everyone for listening and joining us and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween.